I've said it before and I'll say it again. War stories and monster movies are educational. They're survival oriented. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. People of Earth, please heed my warning. A terrible accident has occurred. A strange energy beam containing garbage from my substation may be headed for your solar system and could possibly result in the total annihilation of your species. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And we're here to review Terror Vision, finally, starring Chad Allen, Diane Franklin, Mary Warnoff, Garrett Graham, and Burt Remsen, directed by Ted Nicolaou, released in February of 1986 on a budget of unknown thousands of dollars. This grows. This actually grossed $320,000 in its one weekend of release, Nick. So, um, why are we talking about a movie called Terror Vision? Because it was on Netflix instant. <laughs> no, it's actually uh, it's a movie I caught when I was younger. My dad, for some reason, recorded it on VHS when it was on TV or when we had HBO free for a weekend. You know, remember those? Oh, yeah. And uh, I just remember watching it a lot as a kid, and I just I liked the movie. I don't know why. I knew at the time it wasn't a very good movie, but there was something just so like cheesy about it that it was good. And... I'll say right now, the 80s, they have tons of movies like this with like just this cheesy horror, doesn't take itself seriously, and I think it's just a kind of a funny, cool genre to hit up. So when we were kind of talking about a funny, not-so-serious, slapsticky, stupid movie, I was like, we got to do Terror Vision, so. Well, I think you just summed it up <laughs> as to what it is. I actually saw this. I just didn't know I had seen it. Um, I thought going in to watch this, I was going to be the newbie. But no, I actually saw a part of this, probably on one of those free HBO weekends like you're talking about growing up. But just not realizing what I saw. <laughs> because I don't know how. I, I bump across Chad Allen in movies just randomly <laughs> from time to time. And I always remember his face. And I just remember seeing, I, when I'm watching this movie and watching the kitty plays here, I'm like, I know I've seen this. I have seen this movie before. So... I didn't remember any of it, and I'm hard-pressed to wonder if I'll remember any of it beyond our conversation tonight, but it's definitely different. I mean, not the lowest-grossing thing we've ever done here on Filmstrip. I mean, we we did Donkey Punch. That made no money at all, but, you know, that was an independent release. This, I, you know, maybe one of the more... I don't know. We don't dive into the cult classic bin very much here, so this one definitely falls into that category, I would think, because uh, you can't even get this on DVD, man. If you're not watching it on Netflix, you're bootlegging it off the internet, or you got an old vhs somewhere because this is you can't find this in wide release no you can't and i was actually really surprised that netflix had it up when i saw that i was just like i gotta tell jay about this and yeah that was really kind of cool to see that and before that the only way you could really see this movie at least for me was on yahoo me not yahoo uh youtube that's right. And so, I don't even know that that's still live anymore either. So, I mean, it's it's probably out there if you want to go hunt it and find it, but if you don't have access to Netflix. But it's it's certainly one of those I'm curious. Well, I shouldn't be curious. Netflix has a lot of this stuff that's up there on the streaming side that you're just you wonder how they get it. And it's if you realize anything about Hollywood business, you know that 
everybody owns everything else and things get swapped around and somewhere Terror Vision got traded as part of a deal. I don't know. Maybe they got a potato salad out of it. I don't know. But but it came along to somebody and now Netflix has it. So at least for right now, you know, things disappear off Netflix like, you know, Jimmy Hoffa's lieutenants. So, you know, you never know what will be there next. But I guess before we get any further, Nick, you know, we can tell, tell people right now, we're not going to walk through this one plot point to plot point because I don't know that that's even possible. So I think we're going to talk about it in, in kind of broader schemes like we have done a few other things. But I think it, it would do well if you gave us a plot summary or at least try to. Not a problem. All right. On a distant, faraway planet, a poor, unsuspecting trash monster is living its days out, eating the waste of an advanced alien race. Before he is aware of what is going on, he and the trash are turned into an, turned into energy and beamed away like a ping pong ball. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for our monster, let's just call him Hungry, his energy beam is caught by a family's satellite dish on a planet called Earth. This swinging Pewterman family just installed a state-of-the-art satellite dish. And it just so happened to catch Hungry's energy beam and transmit him into their television. In the TV, he catches glimpses of the Pewterman family. The Swinger parents, Raquel and Stanley, the Cindy Lauper wannabe daughter, Susie, the future fo- soldier of fortune's son, Sherman, and World War Three survivor, Grandpa. Or World War Three. <laughs> yeah, World War Three. Later that evening, when the Pewterman parents go out swinging... And Susie goes out with her boy boyfriend, Odie, played by Uncle, Uncle Rico. Rico. <laughs> Hungry decides to make a break for it. Escaping the TV, he is spotted by Grandpa and Sherman, who then head into the family's bunker of war and arm themselves to the teeth with guns and grenades. <laughs> Hungry, who at this point has become hungry, get that, decides <laughs> to feed on the worthless TV repairman. After spotting Grandpa... Hungry uses his opportunity to kill and consume him as well. Before Hungry can finish his gramtastic meal, Sherman comes running in and scares Hungry back into the TV set. While hiding in the TV, the Peterman parents return with another swinging couple. Sherman tries to warn his parents about Hungry, but they are more concerned with entering the Pleasure Dome. <laughs> the Pleasure Dome is... Uh, yeah, uh, we'll get there, uh, we'll get there. So. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Seeing that his parents are preoccupied with sex, Hungry escapes the TV and eliminates the parents and their friends. After feeding on the four sex-crazed adults, Susie and O.D. return. Sensing the danger, Hungry hides in the Peterman parents' bed. Using their heads as a disguise, he fools the dim-witted Susie and Sherman. After they leave, Hungry decides to go on the offensive once again. But after noticing Odie's punk outfit matches the outfit of his former friend and owner, Hungry decides to give the rest of the family a chance at friendship. After listening to some 80s hair metal with the group, the Peterman family shows their true colors. They conclude that they can use Hungry to earn money and fame. Sherman calls up the local boobtastic late-night TV host, Medusa, to tell her about Hungry, thinking she can help them pimp out Hungry. After realizing their intention, Hungry attacks and kills Odie. Sherman and Susie take refuge in the family's bunker of war. After arming themselves yet again, Sherman takes Susie around the house determined to kill Hungry. Suddenly, Hungry's old friend and owner arrives, deciding to team up with Sherman and Susie. Luckily, Medusa shows up and kills Hungry's owner, eliminating any chance the Petermans have at defeating Hungry. Hungry then breaks through the wall and swallows Sherman, Susie, and Medusa. 
The film ends with Hungary using Medusa's head to fool Medusa's limo driver into taking him to Medusa's TV studio. End <laughs> credits. And that is 83 minutes. And I, 83 fantastic minutes. Uh, fantastic is a word. That is for sure. I, <laughs> my goodness. Well, I don't know what movie you saw. That wasn't exactly the point of view I saw it from. But uh. I, I, I did change it around a little bit because <laughs> you really can't describe this movie from like a straight on narrative taken from like maybe like the kid's point of view. It's much easier to tackle this movie from the point of view of hungry it's, it's so. because none of the humans in this movie are remotely human they're all like gross caricatures of excessive 80s stereotypes would you not agree 80s and 70s it was kind of like a mixture of them both because i don't know how much swinging was going around in the 80s that seems to be kind of like a 70s movement but yeah they're all just well, the, the, gross well, well, I mean, like, Grandpa is supposed to be like the greatest generation, you know, hanging around still, right? And then you've got the bratty 80s kids and Susie and Sherman, and then you've got the swinger parents from the late 60s, early 70s, and then you've got Medusa, who's the, you know, she's the trope of 80s horror television, the, you know, knockoff Elvira, and that, that kind of thing. And then, I, you know, then you've got the monsters from outer space, which I don't know what that's from, but, but it, like, this, you know, uh, distended Muppet or something. <laughs> it was very weird. I got to tell you, you know, I told you before, I knew I'd seen this and I just didn't remember much of it. This is, this was a weird experience to watch this film. I, I can almost imagine watching it with a group of people is much more entertaining than watching it by yourself. Oh, definitely. This is definitely like a party movie, you know, get a bunch of guy friends together and, you know, just put on some bad movies. This would be like a great, like, you know, double feature, maybe with like the blob from the eighties or something, you know, Yeah. Where it's just like, it's, it's aware of what it is, but it's just, you have a good time watching it, even though it's like, it's a bad movie. I mean, this movie isn't directed very well or anything, but it's just, it's so watchable. It's ridiculous. It's like you just put it on and it's like, this is really bad, but I'm going to keep it on until the end. I mean, did you feel kind of the same way when you're watching it? Well, you can't, you can't help but not watch it. It's like, it's like that kind of train wreck, you know, that you see and you just, you can't help but look at it. You know, you just want to see what, what's going to happen next. I'm sort of blown away by, you mentioned it, you know, it's not directed terribly well. There's only like two sets in the whole film. And I mean, it looked like it was shot on a, like they did some exteriors of this really nice house that does not remotely match what is happening on the screen on the inside. I mean, it's really just one big room that they keep reapportioning and shooting in. But I got to say, that's it, that all that together, it was really fun. I mean, I, I did have fun watching this, even though I wouldn't call any of it good necessarily, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I mean, the, I even like the color tone of the whole movie. I mean, talk about just like your pastels. <laughs> Everything is like pink or like that Brady Bunch lawn green. And I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it though. I can't lie. I enjoyed it just because 
the movie is very aware of what it is. It's not like they went out to make like a serious horror movie. They knew this was going to be a joke of a movie, and you can just tell everybody's really having fun making it. You know, it's oh. probably a oh yeah, a totally. big party. It was probably a big party on set. It was probably the pleasure dome of <laughs> so, the movie. You know, well, I can imagine that there was a, probably a lot of substance going around as this was being made. Let's talk about the characters a little bit here as we get into this thing. But then I've got some questions that I need you to help me clear up because you are the big fan of this. So Sherman. All right. So now it, uh, my whole take on Chad Allen here is that he is the stereotype of like the 80s Rambo kid, like the kid that grew up you know, watching stuff like Red Dawn and Rambo and, you know, the over militarized gung ho America, you know, violent teenager. Is that what you see there? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, the uh, the Reagan era kid, you know, it's like military, military guns, guns, guns. And that's just what he was. And it's like. It's it's relatable though because I think like every little boy goes through that stage. Oh yeah, I went through that. That's what I'm saying. I could see that. Like this was me. You know, I remember yeah. being like that. So my brother and I played army and all that kind of stuff, and so I totally got it. I just it's funny to look at now, and see, but to see how serious he takes it, and it's all coming from Grandpa, right? Because like Grandpa's the World War Three hero, and and it's all it's all that creepy old Grandpa Bert Rimson. Yeah, it's just. I, I love the dynamic between those two because they, they play off each other. You know, got to go for a brain shot. You got to go for a head shot. I know. And I hate it. Grandpa died early. Like, I was like, no, Grandpa left this film entirely early. And I, I the parts he was in, I enjoyed the most. I thought he was the, the funniest character of all of them. And they took him out of this a little fast for me. But I dug Grandpa. I got his whole shtick. And, I mean, it's kind of like watching it, – it almost reminded me of Grandpa from The Monsters, you know? And it, it, if he was like this – crazed military survivalist or something yeah definitely definitely i think for me probably my favorite character would have to i don't know i i really enjoyed the parents i really did i think that they were just hilarious just you know the mom and the uh the swingers <laughs> yeah the swingers but even like when you first meet the mom i mean of course she's in the uh the, the workout outfit the 80s workout outfit with you know the thong back and stuff and just the way like even when they have like invite like the part the two swinger people over, it's just hilarious between them two. Especially the dad when he's making the drinks in the in the pleasure dome. We gotta explain what the pleasure dome is. The pleasure dome uh, is yes. They actually have like a pool in their house. You know, it's, it's an indoor pool like next to their bedroom. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's where they invite other swingers over to. Uh, and I love that whole bit. Like they drop that so innocently, you know. Like, oh, daddy, you know, I got a date tonight. Can we do this? We're like, nah, baby, tonight we're swinging, you know. And I, I'm like, man, this is the weird. But that's the that's the trope of American families in the '80s, right? Is that we act like we're all these morally superior folks but at the core there's a lot of seedy stuff going on behind closed doors isn't that what that's supposed to be that you know every, every parent you know that that tried to be these strict moral agents of the 80s well they they all came out of the swinging 60s and 70s yeah definitely definitely i always kind of envision this you know for any family guy fan out there this is like the house that quagmire oh you totally i totally quagmire is a total ripoff of of pewterman here <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, he. I mean, I. I am calling. You know, Seth, Seth MacFarlane is a notorious plagiarist anyway, and I know exactly where all that is from. Now, it's. I mean, he'll never probably admit it, but I. That has got to be some of the inspiration for this dude because <laughs> because I, the whole thing about him and this is what's hilarious. We meet him while he's working on the dish, and he's got the uh, the dish repairman out there, and the guy's going, "Ah, these one hundred models are not as good as the one thousands or whatever," and he's he, the dish repairman like keeps uh scamming off of his heineken you know but he's it the way they talk it doesn't fit the era at all it's like can i grab another heine for the weekend i'll show you how to grab one. it's almost like the honeymooners out there so it was <laughs> really weird it was almost like the bad brady bunch when that outside scene oh, was going on because you yes. know like you got the turf lawn you got the complete backdrop skyscrape but it reminded me like of probably like the conversation that like the Brady's would have if they were like the exact opposite of how they were portrayed. On oh, TV, oh, you mean you if know? they were their real selves? As they yeah, were if that was a real. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, yeah. you know what? You know, the Brady Bunch, if it was real, it would probably be this. <laughs> and, yeah, very, very true. I mean, it's very weird. And, okay, we got to talk about Susie. You called her the Cindy Lauper wannabe. I mean, totally. That that uh, Just a total ripoff of the, the glammed out hair, all the, you know, bracelets and the knee-high socks and the torn sweaters, all that stuff. And, of course, she dates the coolest dude in school, Uncle Rico himself, O.D., who's like the, the metalhead stereotype of all time. He had a freaking Wasp shirt on. Man, and there's like a Wasp video in it. I'm like, did Wasp get some money for this? Cause I don't think I paid good. But you know that tells you how low rent this flick is. They're using Wasp. I mean, that's like a D-level metal band from the 80s you didn't get anybody you couldn't even get like a poison knockoff to do this thing you had to go get wasp and it's od is hilarious i think he's just you know like the mom all suddenly like you know she's falling in love with them and everything and like you look at him it's like dude you know even at that time the way he was dressed i mean i understand this was the 80s but it was like it's so over the top with like the leather bracelets with the studs coming out of them and the studded up leather jacket well, and the, his, his whole stick is he's like hey dude you know and i mean he's so like stoner but yeah he actually, makes he makes yeah. he makes uh, uh what's the name spinelli spicoli spicoli, spicoli. Yeah. he makes he makes spicoli look like freaking einstein total <laughs> rip off of spicoli but but he's actually really smart. He's one of the only ones that actually knows what's going on half the time, which is hilarious to me. But I, I, you know, I liked him. I thought he was funny. You know, I mean, I don't know the dude from except just the little parts he's played here and there. Of course, Uncle Rico and stuff like that. But I, I thought that he was a nice addition. I mean, he kind of picked up where Grandpa left off. But I liked him and his whole introduction, you know, that he has to meet the parents and you think, oh, this guy's going to be bad news. But he's actually just a dumb kid caught up in the fashion. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he was I think he was funny throughout the whole thing. And even like when like later when they start playing like the heavy metal music for Hungary and it's like, yeah, he's a metal fan. (laughs) Rock and roll. It's just stuff. It's just so over the top with every single one of these characters that you just can't help but like everybody. Well, you know, and then you've got you've got Medusa that we've already called her out as the um, Elvira knockoff, you know, the the midnight horror mashup, you know, that all the bad like the, what was it like a Gila monster eating another one was that was some bad old like fifties monster movie stuff going on. But I I kind of thought she was annoying. I'll be honest with you, she was the one part of this that kept taking me out of it every time they'd put her on screen. Yeah, I think it was just. 
I mean, they tried to never be like Elvira, but Elvira, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, was a, kind of an attractive woman, even if you know, yeah. the goth. But Medusa's pretty ugly, man. She's got, she's got, she got, she got the Medusa boot. Me and the uh, Elvira boobs going on, but that's about it. It's like when you look at her, it's just like, yeah, it's like a melted version of Elvira, and just like. She's just a bitch the whole movie. Well, that's the thing. And, like, there's another movie that came out during this time that did this right, and it's Fright Night, if you've ever seen that, with Roddy McDowell plays the uh, horror icon on TV or whatever. And, I mean, that came out a year before this movie. And I, I just, every time I watch this, and I watch any of the movies from the 80s that try to do this trope, I just always go to Fright Night because that one's done so well, and this is done so poorly. And she's the one thing that just, I, I, kept feeling like they kept trying to shoehorn that character somehow into this story. I'm giving this story way too much credit though, Nick. I don't think they cared about any of that. This this was just like a head trip. I don't know what the point of this thing was, but she was the part of it I didn't like the most. Yeah, I agree. I just, I think it was just the way her character was, the way she was always complaining, always being a bitch about everything. And yeah, she was just, every time she was on it, I was just kind of like, eh, you know, get, get back to Hungry, get back to the monster. Well, and that would have been fine if, if they had let her be, like, one of the kills, you know, if she had gotten killed. But she, like, lasts to the very end, <laughs> so, which is, was all wrong. And the whole reason she shows up at the end, still, I don't even understand it. She was like, she showed up at the house because she was mad at them. Yeah, what was... TV host gets so mad at people trash-talking them on the air that they decide, I'm going to check out this party and give these people a piece of my mind? You know, may- <laughs> maybe like Rush Limbaugh would, but, you know. Not... I don't even think he would bother with this. So, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. I, I mean, this is more like Morton Downey Jr. or something, <laughs> but, but even worse. I mean, this, if you can imagine that. I mean, that's, that's the right era, too. But, uh, yeah, she was just weird. But what we haven't gotten to and what we've got to get to is the whole setup here. And you said it in the plot summary there, but like the monster on his planet is just a pet. But when he mutates, they're uncontrollable and you can't satiate their appetite. So the trash collector guy, alien guy, beams him into outer space. And he just so happens to get caught by the Puderman satellite dish. Yeah. It didn't make sense to you, man. Come on, dude. That's science. It no, it's, it's, it's not it's not about sense or not. It's how did that <laughs> even come to be as a thought? I mean, I would have never dreamed it's one of the more original ideas I've ever seen for a horror movie, I'll say that. It's more original than Prometheus. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's better than, you know, being on an like the blob, you know, it's on an asteroid and it crash lands onto Earth. I mean, oh, it's see, no, no, see, the blob is all about like red scare stuff. That's what that's all about. If you go back to like the fifties one or the one from nineteen sixty and stuff, that's a that's a part of that era. I get that. This, I don't understand what it, unless it's supposed to be that like the old trope is if you watch too much television, it'll rot your brain. It's garbage. It'll kill you. Well, what if it actually was? I mean, is that what? The, I think that's I think that's pretty much exactly what it is now that wow. you say that because eighties <laughs> was the time of like you know when the TV, you know, everybody have everybody had two TVs in their house at the time. I mean, that was kind of a big oh, no, thing. Remember, remember Back to the Future? Nobody has two television sets. You know? Yeah, that was yeah. But that, that's perfect example. The eighties. I mean, the eighties is like you know, it's materialism. Everybody had a TV. Everybody watched TV. You know, dinner time revolved around the TV and stuff. Still does, but that was the beginning time of it. And I think that was maybe kind of a 
way to show that, you know, yeah, you guys are all obsessed with TV and TV is going to be what kills us or what's going to destroy well, us. Well, and you I know think, what? Th- th- we've seen that before, too. Steven Spielberg did that in Poltergeist. It's a little more subtle, maybe, than this, but it's the same idea. Nothing in this movie is subtle, man. <laughs> this is true. This is not movie for subtlety. We're going swinging tonight. Come on, do you not remember that? Well, let's talk about old Hungry the monster himself. I mean, I called him, you know, the gross Muppet earlier. It kind of is. What is he supposed to be like a dog? Is that the thing? I guess. And what's with this? Is his, his tail? Is that like his a phallic object? But he's I, got, but he's got like a tongue hand thing going. Yeah, he's got a tongue hand, and then he's got like a phallic eyeball thing. That's. I don't know if that's a tail or what that is, <laughs> but it seems like it's almost a different, like another sentient, sentient being with it, because that thing has its own responses and noises too. So, well, it's almost like the thing, if you remember the yeah. thing, you know, from from John Carpenter's film. And I'll say this uh, about it: it's a, it's an original idea because it could just be this big blobby monster thing, and it is that, but it's not too. Like you don't really know its anatomy, you don't really get how it mutates and works. You kind of get that it can take on the form of others temporarily and sort of you know use their their uh faces and stuff as a a um, disguise but that doesn't last like even his alien owner in the end says you know he, he can he can mutate with humans and take on their form but it won't last or something like that like the more he he eats the more he'll be uh, hungry for it like you can't ever get him fed is the whole point and I, which, I don't know, which, you know? Which, which I think back to like the old TV thing and, you know, what it may, may maybe being a commentary on us is, you know, maybe hungry is kind of a commentary on us. You know, the more you feed it, the more it's hungry. Well, with TV, the more you keep on putting on TV, the more people want. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who? Yeah. I mean, who would even talk about a television show after it's been off the air for a while? Oh, wait, we did that on the other podcast. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's the whole point of this show too, right? You, you relive your entertainment and you, you become it. Well, you know, Derrida said it, right? You know, our monsters become our pets. The things we're afraid of, we have to turn into the things that we spend all of our time with. And maybe that's the point is that you think you can control it and you can shut it off. But once it gets out of control and it becomes a part of your life, you can't take it away. I mean, look what happens to these people when Putterman thinks he's broken the dish and like nothing's coming in. They're they're all just out of whack. They don't know what to do with themselves. And then they finally yeah. get a channel to come in and, oh, wow, everything's good. Yeah. And even like they're going through like all the different channels they have and stuff and they're commenting on each of them's like all oh, the war channel and they come up to like Hungry who's like in the TV and they're like, ooh, what's this? You know, it's a must be some kind of monster movie. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, it probably is a commentary on like the culture and the materialism and stuff like that. But it's also probably mostly because it's a rip off of the blob in a way. Without yeah. they're saying like the monster going to keep on eating, it's going to get bigger and the hunger is going to be uncontrollable. But yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it's the movie kind of had it both ways with that. So, but well, I and maybe we're I, yeah. Go ahead. But I, I just think the part that really kind of works for me is going back to the fact that it just doesn't take itself seriously. It's not like it's like a serious movie and it's like saying, you know, kind of like the day the Earth stood still or something, where it's making like these hard line <laughs> judgments on us, where it's like this is what's going to happen if you guys continue down this. I mean. 
it, it's 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 probably given like a little bit of a message, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we're gonna have fun with it. Too. The only thing that could make this movie more off the wall is if Nicolas Cage was in it. I mean, that's the only way that it could be that way. The thing about this, and I think you've called it out right, is that it doesn't take itself seriously. Like maybe there's some subtext there, and they're wanting to say some things, but deep down, they're really not doing that to here. I mean, they're just trying to do something goofy and kind of campy. And on that level, I can respect this because I do think it does play well. Like every, every character, even though there's a lot of difference in their age, all are on the same playing field. I don't know if you noticed it or not. Like Sherman's taken seriously by pretty well everyone. And that never happens to the kid actor. Yeah. Usually it's always like, yeah, the kid, kid doesn't know what's going on. Let's ignore him, lock him in his room and stuff. But you know, they, they respect them well enough. And, and even he and his sister actually get together and bond together. And the, the funny thing about them is in the end, you know, they realize their parents are dead. Mommy and Daddy have been eaten by the monster. And the, the alien guy saying, we can grow them in cultures. They'll be very similar to your parents. They'll just have to live in an aquarium. And they're both like, uh, forget that. You know, they're ready to go forward orphaned into the world <laughs> rather than deal with that. Because their parents are psycho, you know, creepoids anyway. So, I mean, why would they want to bring them back? Yeah, not, not, not a very good environment to raise kids when you're bringing home new people every week into the pleasure dome. <laughs> Clearly, the the Evan, you know, look look who she's dating and look what Sherman wants to do. He's walking around with assault weapons. I mean, it's one thing to play army. It's another to have access to the guns. <laughs> and, and, and grenades. And yes. grenades. Oh, yes, the grenades. How, how dare I forget? But the funny thing is Sherman picks up what looks to be the simplest weapon of all, the alien's weapon, and he can't work it. Like, it's the cheapest toy gun in the world, too. You can go buy that for $4. Yeah. It's one of the ones you get at, like, the state fair. Oh, totally. I mean, it's just, but he can't get it to fire at Hungry at the end while he's, I guess he's sucking them in. Is that the, I don't know, that, that ending was strange. But, but I, no, I like the balance of the characters. I mean, I thought they were they were funny. And I, for the kids to be as weird as they are, and they are both really weird, they're they're funny. Like, they actually have some good humor in here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just goes back to the fact that nothing's taken itself seriously. So it's like the kid is so over the top, but the kid's laughing the whole time that he's doing it. And even the daughter with the whole like Cindy Lauper, you know, motif that's going on. It's like every like word that comes out of her mouth is like so like from the 80s and like something you'd see on like MTV or you, you, know, you mean MTV say, when it actually played music videos. Yeah. Yeah. That like, long time ago. I mean, she almost sounded like the girl from like, remember uh, USA up all night. Oh all. yes. How dare we forget her? So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, well, that was another ripoff from Medusa there too. You know, it was that, yep. that whole bit. So, well, what'd you make of OD? I mean, the, we talked a little bit about him and his punkness, but I mean, he was, uh, that dude was hilarious. I mean, I thought I thought he had. I liked the way he tried to relate to Hungry, though. That you know, the fact that he wore all the the studs and the chains and stuff. That Hungry mistook him for his the the alien owner that he had had, right? I yeah. That was that was kind of neat that they put that on that character. I mean, normally that guy would just be one of the first people killed in a horror movie, but he makes it a good while in this thing. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I like I said before, I like the character. I think he's funny. I liked his little like how he's a Spicoli type guy. He's just really stupid. And it's almost like his stupidity is almost like, it almost goes full circle, you know, or not full circle, it goes 180 where it's like his stupidity is almost like making him smart, you know? Yeah. Especially when he's able, he's able to figure out stuff, you know, a lot quicker than everybody else. You know, the smarter characters in the movies can't figure out, you know, how to talk to Hungry or how to deal with them, but yet he can. And I don't know. I just, I really liked him. I thought he was funny. And 
even when like you know he's getting mad at them, hungry towards the end and stuff and like he's sort of like yelling at him and it's like then finally hungry turns on him and eats him I know, and then, but I liked the fact that he tried to teach him, like, dude, this is how you watch the tube, you know, and like, like that's what an '80s kid would do with a a foreign alien. He wouldn't know what to do with him other than teach him how to watch television, right? Because that would be yeah. what his frame of reference was for yeah, everything. Definitely. And that, and again, you go back to the commentary part of this is that you know, look how awful an example that would be if you try to teach someone, but that their response from the alien race would be to eat us. But even, like, afterwards, it's like after they kind of, you know, friend Hungry, what's the thing they want to do with him? Oh, they want to exploit him, totally. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's like, out. Guy got, got to be that uh, consumerism, you know, got to, you know, capitalism all the way right there, where it's like, we, we, we got somebody, and it's like, we're going to make some money off of him. Gordon Gecko said it, baby. Greed is good, you know? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the 80s, though. That's the mid-80s, that whole yuppie mentality and all that stuff. I mean, it's part of that... That era, whether we ever want to admit it or not, I mean, that is part of our history, and it's something that they're played with here. And to be honest, if you came across one of those things, what you wouldn't be thinking about, trying to, how am I going to get this on Oprah? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, that's that's exactly what they were thinking. I don't know, man. I see that something just ate my parents, and it's like, yeah, I'm getting as far away from this thing as I can. I, I know, but if your parents were swingers, Nick, I mean, I'm just saying. So I'll put it in context. If what, so, you don't know me very well. Hey, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how it kidding, goes down. In the, I don't know how it goes down in the Midwest. But anyway, so. kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about the end here, shall we? Because I think we're at the point where we can talk about the end now. We, you know, Grandpa's been eaten. Od's been eaten. It's Susie and Sherman, and and the alien uh, keeper shows up, and he's basically like spending a lot of time doing exposition. And I'm like, dude, you need to turn around and shoot something because you're talking way too much. And Medusa shows up and clocks him over the head, and it like it depressurizes his helmet, and he just turns into goo. What a dumb! Uh, thanks a lot. And the whole reason she does this is he's holding his space gun, and Sherman and Susie put their machine guns down to go help him. You know, or she thinks they're surrendering to him or something. And so she she clocks the dude, and of course, uh, because she shouldn't be there anyway, Medusa has ruined everything. Yeah. Well. What a bitch. <laughs> just, it just makes you hate her character even well, more. Well, so, like, so this movie is totally eighties because it's completely sexist. <laughs> Oh, when she comes in and she hits the mind, it's like you think that, you know, okay, what are they going to do here? I mean, I kind of wanted to see, like, the parents being in an aquarium or something. Because, you know, you think at this point in the movie that, you know, something crazy like that would happen. Maybe they defeat Hungary and that the guy grows the parents and the parents are weird creatures or, you know, maybe they go off to live with the space alien on another planet and it's, you know, a lot like Earth or whatever. But it just standing kind of and it kind of shocked me because it's like the monster wins the monster wins and it kills a kid everyone dies i know that's the that's the the only terror part of terror vision is the very end cuz i expected them like to beam them back to his trash planet and we see susie like has hooked up with some other you know rancid thing from that you know place and they're trying to grow the parents in the culture and all. i mean i could see that but no it hungry breaks through the wall and opens up his mouth thing and starts sucking them all in and they can't kill him and the last shot is like sherman coming right into the mouth and i'm like that is dark that is twisted yeah yeah definitely but it's like in retrospect none of these characters are redeemable i mean all of them are bad i mean freaking the sherman would grow up to be like you know 
a guy going to a college campus and shooting people and, you know, freaking Susie would be, you know, who knows what. I mean, all these characters are pretty bad people, so it's almost like, yeah, so. I mean, Hungry, that's why I wrote it from his perspective. He's like the really the only good character in this thing. And his whole thing is world domination because he's going to the TV studio so he can beam across the rest of the country. That's And I don't even think it's like world domination. He just wants to eat. He's hungry. I mean, I think he's the only, I think he's the only thing in there that's really not influenced by anything more than what he is. I mean, everybody else, you know, it's like, you know, swinging and you know, all sexual desires or, you know, money and, you know, exploiting the thing. He just wants to eat. I mean, what's 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 more natural and primitive than that? I mean, you got to eat. Nothing more. Good point. Good point. Well, I think we're at a point of the podcast, Nick, where it's time to get final recommendations and popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for Terror Vision? Uh, for me, it's it's a small popcorn. I mean, the movie's not very good as far as like how it's made, directed, and acted, but. It is a fun movie, and even though I give it a small popcorn, I do recommend it. I think it's something that everybody has to go out and watch because this is like the perfect definition of it's so bad it's good. I completely echo that sentiment. This is so bad it is hilarious, and it is it is must be seen. It's the definition of small popcorn, but you know what? Sometimes small popcorn is all you need, just a little snack, and it'll get you by. I guarantee you, folks, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already heard the theme song. Try getting that out of your head. I mean, that that oh, that typifies this whole film. <laughs> it's just that weird old kind of 80 schlock. And this one, there are a couple other movies that kind of fall under this for me. I put this in the category of like Weird Science, which I know is a John Hughes movie, but it's in that and My Science Project and some of those kind of flicks. I mean, this is right there with them. And I, too, recommend it, even though I do think it's small popcorn territory all the way. Out. It's definitely worth seeing, folks. And I think, like we said in the beginning, Watch it with a group of friends. Have a good time. This is a good bad movie night kind of film. This is one of those you want to watch with other people and enjoy. And uh, it's certainly been fun talking about it with you. And I joked in the intro, and I guess we should let people know, we've been trying to do this for about six months now, and cosmic forces have aligned to keep us from doing it. We recorded this. Cosmic ping pong balls <laughs> have come out of the atmosphere, and I think one of them deleted your original file for the recording <laughs> that we did. Yep. And just making everything else that could go wrong, go wrong. Yeah, and I mean, it's been strange coming off the, the string of movies we've done, Nick. We did all the alien films, which are, you know, a real, that's a wide variety of stuff then we did the born films which up until the last one were really strong you know character driven action films and then now we've done terror vision where's left to go <laughs> i don't know but i gotta ask you this though prometheus born legacy or terror vision which one would you watch <sighs> if i had to watch one again i'd probably watch well i'll tell you now i'd watch terror vision again before i'd ever watch either of the other two I'll probably watch Prometheus again, but only because I need to get my blood pressure up. And that's that's the only reason. This is a lot of fun. This is one definitely worth revisiting if you can do bad movies and just enjoy them for what they are. You know, it's 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 a perfect, like, you know, Saturday nights, you know, when I'll drink a little bit too much and you just want to chill in 
before you go to bed. Perfect movie to put on. Perfect uh, the, movie. To perfect, perfect rainy day kind of flick all the way. But we got some real fun stuff coming up. We already told you Nick and I are starting a Stephen King retrospective the latter part of the year here. Really looking forward to getting into some of those. I mean, we're going to do The Shining, Misery, Shawshank Redemption, and there's a lot of cool films from that. Maximum Overdrive. Over I mean, how can we forget that one? So we're going to hit a lot of cool stuff here toward the end of the year and into next year. We really appreciate you joining us. You can find more film reviews in our archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You can also find links to our Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast that I mentioned earlier, The Art of Slaying. Four full seasons of Buffy up there. So until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. I'm so terribly sorry for the inconvenience. Can we use the jacuzzi tonight? Uh, not tonight, baby. Your father and I might be swinging. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.